Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. We are recording. It's official. I just pushed the little red button. We are back. We're back. I mean, I'm back. I guess we recorded that last episode in advance, so I feel like I've been gone for a long time. But everyone else just feels like they heard me last time, a week ago. Right. Yeah, Mike went on a trip. He's back from his trip. Yeah, it was it was a long trip. I was tripping for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a harrowing trip. It, it was at like. times. But it was also amazing at times, too. I mean, a lot of people, you know, and, and if everyone that listened last time knows that we kind of joked about the fact that I go hunting. And I can say yet again, for 25 years, I have not killed an animal. And that's how long <laughs> I've been hunting. So ultimately, I've yet to uh, achieve that feat. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of details that no one needs to really or wants to really know about involved in that. But the, the beauty of the whole experience for a lot of the people out there that can't understand this is that climbing up a tree in the dark and sitting on the side of it where you can't move in whatever the weather is, is like a process of surrender, you know, and it's meditative because it's like, you can't control the weather. You can't control what's happening. And for one moment, you know, even if it only lasts for, let's say, four hours sitting up there, you know, you 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 rise above your your physicality because you get so cold and so miserable, no, so uncomfortable. It's it's definitely a trial by endurance, you know, and you have no Sounds control like over anything that's happening. <laughs> but at the same time, because you're not moving, you know, how often let me ask you, how often in your life do you really sit for four hours straight and not move and just let all of this view in front of you? That's what it is. Just be and yeah, just I exist. Can, in it you seems know? like I can see it as one of those, you know, meditation intense meditation, sure. meditation and retreats. To it, I've, what it is, I've known like people that have got awareness. Yeah, you know? I've known people that have gone to those like a mo- monasteries and do this intense week long uh, meditation retreat with these hardcore guys, and, and you you know you have to meditate on a stone floor, and you and all you get to eat is ice cream once a day, and all this crazy stuff, <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah. miserable, like eight hours a day meditating, and but it's you know it's this transcendent thing they try and get you to kind of transcend your. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's any trial trial right. by endurance for sure. Whether you're hanging by hooks through the flesh in your back, or you're just yeah. sitting on a stone floor and it's you know super Spartan and ascetic, and you're just like eating oatmeal three times a day and, and drinking water, and giving yourself enemas or something. You know? <laughs> but this is this on the other hand, you know, you're just sitting there and you really you get so cold that you have to start to like with your mind work different muscle groups that you didn't really know you had control over because you can't really move. You're just kind of sitting there to keep your, those digits and those muscles warm. But what happens is, you know, you're looking out and it's like at a given point in time, your whole view becomes this 180 degree swath and you're a part of it. You're not separate from it. Like we most feel in our lives in cities and cars, driving around, going in buildings, doing all this human stuff. For one moment, you actually feel like I'm actually part of this, this little squirrel that's been stowing its nuts in this tree and chirping at me for the past three hours is just (laughs) doing its thing. I'm just sitting out here trying to be a predator trying to see if I can find a prey or call it in and, and get it, get its attention. You're, you end up seeing in a way where it's almost like omnivision where everything's happening and all the little details and things, and you're not separate from it. You're very much interconnected with it. So, you know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes you're just miserable, but, uh, you know, if you can get that and you can have that and hold that, even if for a moment, you know, the experience will eventually fade, but the wisdom that comes from it, I think is something that continues on indefinitely. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, so you, it's something you wouldn't do otherwise. So. There's well, and also, too. you know, I, I would, and you always joke with me and all my friends do because all my friends really are like anti-killing things. And really I am too. I mean, I'm the guy that scoops the spider up in the house and takes it out, the black widows and all of them, you know, yeah. get them back outside. But the reality is, is, you know, I, I know that we live in this very modern society where we're very, very disassociated from the things that bring us what we eat and what we consume and what we engage in. We're not really involved in the processes as we once were for you know, a very, if you believe in evolution, uh, you know, a huge amount of time compared to how long we've been this way. And so that feeling of being out there, you know, and, and having that sensation of, I could get an animal. And if that animal came out, you get, you know, my friends like you, oh yeah, you wouldn't take the shot. You know, you're too nice. But the reality is, is if I could actually get a real clean shot where I knew that I was going to get that bullet to go through that lung, through that heart, through the other lung, and that animal's going to drop and there wasn't going to be any extra pain. It would be over. I wouldn't have to chase down this blood trail. You know, I did, it, it's all about having morals again and ethics in what you do. And it's like, if you can actually get a distance, that animal and get those crosshairs and get them held there while your heart's pumping and you're breathing heavy and you're trying to hold, open sight, hold this rifle and, you know, and actually feel confident that when you squeeze that trigger, that animal's going to go straight down. Then yeah, take the shot. Well, in 25 years, I've yet to have that. I've had some shaky crosshairs hairs bobbing all over the backside of a, a buck. But, you know, by the time you actually feel like you're going to get that your breath under control and get yourself ready to do it, that animal has already disappeared into the camouflage of the world around it, you know, yeah. but it's exciting. And, you know, I would, if I could get a clean shot, I'd take that animal and I would have great respect and honor for it throughout the whole entire process involved. Cause I've been there, you know, for, for the whole process of dressing and taking, you know, skinning and butchering and all of that. And the reality is, again, if I'm a meat eater, which I am, I know you're not, but if I am, and I'm going to go and buy these pretty little slabs of meat that are sitting on styrofoam wrapped in plastic, I better be ready to actually cut an animal open and gut it and mm. <laughs> make that meat happen for myself. Right. Because that's really what's happening behind the scenes that everyone's just kind of pretending like, Oh no, it's grown on styrofoam. You know, the meat just grows there in a lab on styrofoam <laughs> plats and they just wrap it in plastic. <laughs> Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. I'm not into it. I'm <laughs> not into it. Jet's into sculpture, though, and that's yes. what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about sculpting. Uh, I didn't prepare for this because it's all second nature to me at this point, which is pretty cool. But that comes from sculpting for, you know, 25, 30 years at this point, maybe. Um, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, so I was think I, I did think about it a little bit, though, and I thought, you know, one of the cool, I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are painters, and um, if you're doing two, 2D representational art, sculpture is, is a really great uh, skill set to have because it allows you to really um, not only see forms, like you would if you're working from a live model, but when you're shaping the forms, you know how they really physically are. You know what I'm saying? Like if you have a live model, you're not going up and touching the model and feeling. Right, right. And sculpture, a lot of sculpture really is feeling too. Like a lot of things that like on my on your fingertips, like when I'm blending things or I'm I'm trying to get shapes, I it's it's really weird because I never noticed this probably until last year. Um you know, you look at the, you look at a sculpture and you're, you, you want, say you want an area to be smooth or whatever, or you want to have a certain bump a certain way. 
I, I notice that I'm running my finger over it, just feeling it as much as I'm looking mm -hmm. at it. So it's sometimes because sometimes depending on how the light is, you can't really see that area. And so you have to feel it with your finger. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's another mm -hmm. it's it's super tactile. It's very like, yeah, very kinesthetic. Yeah. So what's cool about it is um, it's great. It, it really translates into into uh, 2D artwork, I, I think. And people a lot of times people comment on my paintings as uh, they, they like the texture. You know, the, I'm really into texture and wrinkles and fleshy texture. And that I, I attribute 100% to being a sculptor. And mm -hmm. the kind of sculpture that I did was all film industry stuff where it had to look real. There was no, you know, rough leaving rake marks or anything. It was all about really making things look real and fleshy folds and stuff. So um, when I started painting, I had this years of, of, um, of, in this sculpture background of, of detailing and doing texture and really specializing in texture. I think I was probably more specialized in uh, realistic texture than anything else. I, I ended up doing a lot of detail work on sculptures because I was really good at doing pores and, and wrinkles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so um, it, it definitely, it, it inst kind of instantly translated into my work. Like I didn't really need to, I felt like I, I there was a large, chunk of learning I didn't have to do when I started painting because I just knew what these, what skin textures looked like already, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. The other thing I, I, a friend, my friend, I bring this guy up a lot, Mitch Devane. He was sort of like a sculpting mentor to me. I worked with him at Rick Baker's and he's probably, he's considered the best sculptor in the business um, as far as, especially for when it comes to realism and human anatomy and, and texture. He taught me how to do, pores and stuff and he uh he told me that sculpting he felt like sculpting is easier than painting because and i've probably said this before but i'll say it again because with 2d artwork and you know this from being a you know what a painting and drawing and stuff you're mm -hmm. a, a lot of that is creating an illusion of depth and Absolutely. illusion of roundness because you're painting. Mm -hmm. on a, it's all about you know two D artwork of painting is all especially representation representational figurative kind of work is it's all about creating the illusion that you're looking mm -hmm. in, into something and seeing it round. It's round or or totally it's, you know totally and that's and that's why I always struggled. There. You know, I mean, that's honestly why I like to just draw for mm -hmm. myself, but I wouldn't like draw and sell it to anybody because that's not where my, I just don't, I'm not good at that, but I love doing sculpture because right. of what you just said. You know, It's a very tactile thing and it's a very three dimensional thing. And it's easy because ultimately, again, you're not having to fake anybody out. There's no fake, unless if you're doing some kind of a relief, you're, there's no faking right. going on. There's all 2d art is fakery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's all mm -hmm. the trick of the eye and unless the it's, perception. Unless it's abstract art or something, you sure, know what I mean? Sure. But, but yeah, so with sculpture, sculpture is what you see is what you get, you know, it's generally, if you're doing, you know, it's, it's in three dimensions, it's sitting right there, you can turn it around and look at it and there's none of that. So there's a whole aspect of, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the trickery of, of depth and stuff that is just out the window. And also there's the, the, um, the aspect of color is out the window because with painting that's why i pa painting is i think you know the hardest thing to do really because you've got the the illusion of depth the illusion of creating um uh, form 
on a flat light, surface and light shadow. Yeah, light and shadow, which you don't have to deal with the sculpture because it, yep. the light makes the shadow and yes. uh, <laughs> and color on top of that and the way color changes. So it's that's why painting's so difficult. It's got all these different aspects to it. But sculpture, there's you don't have to worry about the color. I mean, if you paint it afterwards, that's another story, but even then you're not faking shadows. Or faking mm -hmm. highlights, you're just painting it mm -hmm. and then letting the light do its thing, or doing a patina or whatever. So, uh, it I I I agree with him. I never thought about it, but I do agree that it is easier. So, I mean, you can have a, uh, you know, you can copy a sculpture and have it. You can copy an object. Say you have uh, a bust of a monster or head or something. You can copy that, put it right next to it, and really map out where it's, you know, mm -hmm. different and copy it because mm -hmm. it's right there in 3D space. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's a, I guess you could do that with a painting too, but still it's, it just seems like having that ex extra dimension there really makes all the difference as far as being able to see it and turn it around in your hands and move the light. You can move your light you know, nope. I totally agree. I mean, that's why I didn't ever pursue painting after taking college courses in it. I was like, you know, honestly, it's too hard. Uh, I mean, that's, that was the truth. It's like, I, I, I have a lot of energy, but I knew that that wasn't where I wanted to put it and right. it would require all of my right. energy. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put it into filmmaking, but yeah, I have huge respect for, especially for you and any other painter that can do it so well as it's like, for me, it's unfathomable really because mm. I, I, you know, I, I see, I watch you do it and still I can't even imagine how you're, it's like magic for me because mm. I've not trained in it any more than a few courses here and there. Right. And even though I watch people do it, that what it takes to actually achieve that is so much skill and knowledge and experience and time and effort and the work, you know? And so, yeah, it's amazing. It's something that is, is magical to me as a result. That's why I love, you know, getting to see all the fine artwork because the, the 2d stuff, cause there's no way I could do it. So yeah. it like gets me all excited. <laughs> <laughs> Makes well, me happy for people that can. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, yeah. So anyway, sculpture, um, so I, as a, as a, you know, if you think, Oh, I'm a painter, I'm not, I don't need to deal, learn sculpture. You know, if you're not interested in sculpture, that's fine. But if you're interested in, um, building your skill set and make that something that will make your paintings better, sculpting is definitely a good thing to do as a practice. And then if nothing else, um, it's fun for one thing, sculpting is really fun. Like oil painting and it. sculpting are like, you know, I can, I, I can't, uh, it's really hard for me to choose. I, I kind of, people ask me if I like sculpting better or painting better. Um, at this point, I probably would say I'm a painter before a sculptor, but you know, up until maybe a couple of years ago, I was more a sculptor. You know, I was in film I, as much as I was a painter, I would paint creature suits and stuff in the film industry. I was sculpting all the time. That was my main job. And then I would get, you know, do painting. I worked in the paint department a couple times, but I, I spent most of my time in the sculpting department. That was my main thing. So, um, I forget what my uh, point was, but, um, do you think though, let me ask you, do you think that, that 
for a young, not, maybe not a young painter, but a painter who's just getting into it, you know, that's starting to build their skill set and starting to develop their style and actually, you know, understand the, the basic techniques involved. Do you think that it would be a beneficial thing for them to be sculpting the things that then they intend to paint so that they actually have a, a three-dimensional awareness of the thing that they envision in their mind before they actually commit it to oil paint? Oh, yeah, yeah. Unquestionably. I, I, I've said it before uh, that I, if I had the time to do things the way I wanted to, I'd probably sculpt, you know, every head I, and then use that as reference to paint it just to, ha you know, have it, have it there. And because the cool, one of the cool things aside from, you know, it just, um, it just uh, burns into your mind how three physical things look in the physical world with light and shadow on them, not only because you're looking at them like you would a model, but you're painting or you're uh, shaping them with your hands. Uh, I think that kind of gets buried in your subconscious to where you know mm -hmm. what looks right because you're staring at this three-dimensional object and you're shaping it and you know the anatomy and it just g gets in there, you know? Um, it's almost like you can feel the backside of one of your paintings or something. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, on my paintings, I, I have a feeling of how it would look three-dimensionally and if I rotated it around. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really great, uh, aside from just being good practice for your painting and, and just just like I, like I was saying, having another skill set, you can, if you learn to sculpt, you can sculpt things and then photograph them light them and photograph them uh and then and then use them as reference for your paintings you know so you have mm -hmm. something to refer mm -hmm. to like th there's a I, I first saw this i know it's obvious i'm sure uh to a lot of people maybe that these pulp illustrators these guys that used to do these uh pulp pulp book covers in like the mm -hmm. 40s and sure 50s they used a lot of models. They're they're I love these illustrators. These pulp illustrators are really amazing. And um, they would photograph models and stuff. Uh, you, you can kind of tell. That's why the work. One of the reason the reasons the work looks so good. But I got this book called "It's a Man's World," and it was about. Um, I loaned it to someone, and I I don't I got to get a, a new copy because I never got it back. But it's a really good book about these pulp illustrators. And the first time it dawned on me that you could do this. Um is that is in this book there's they show the behind the scenes of these illustrators and how they created and there was this one painting of a guy on a horse and instead of you know trying to find a picture of a horse the guy just sculpted a horse roughly in clay and then lit it and then paint it and use that for his reference and it's like you could do that with anything if you know how to yeah, sculpt yeah. you could make anything you could make a, a little you could build a little scene of a city if you wanted and, and use that for your reference and you know mm -hmm. you could sculpt a face you could if you're doing a portrait of um you know edgar Allan poe that there's hardly any photos of you can kind of right. use, you know try and figure out how he really looked based on this one photo in three dimensions and, and then do a different angle of him so that there's a way you mm -hmm. can see that that's never never been seen before because there's all these just isn't that uh isn't that how ron english does a bunch of his stuff is like he's doing these big old models of all yeah, the, yeah. Is how he's getting that super hyper right. real yeah. look of him mm -hmm. because he's creating all toys these little figurines mm -hmm. yeah these little toys and then he's lighting them the way he wants and definitely because whenever i look at because he uses you know, those I, colored lights too from different angles which is really cool which is right, a whole other right. interesting I, thing you can do 
Yeah, it's like because I, I didn't know anything about his process until I interviewed him for I Like to Paint Monsters for the documentary. And I went over to the you know the gallery to meet up with him and he had his stuff up. And I'd never even really seen any of his stuff aside from the obvious stuff. Everyone's seen the Joe mm-hmm. Camel stuff, the Billboard era and all that. Right. But yeah, I went in there and I was like, yeah, I think there's a Corey Helford gallery. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's amazing because you get up close to it and you look at it and it's so tight and so hyper real that it almost is like it, it it's it's almost psychedelic. You yeah, know, yeah. And, it like almost causes you to feel like you're having a psychedelic kind of experience because you're standing so close to it and they're so big that you kind of fill your whole view with it where you almost can't see anything else, you know, but you can still, you know, pick out detail. That's creepy, you know? And I think it's because of the models. I think that's what, why he's so good at that. I don't think he can do it without the models. Well, uh, a lot, you know, most, I know people have a weird thing about using reference, but reference is if you need to use reference, you should absolutely use reference. You know, people that that's what they teach in college. Yeah, people. That's what what the old masters did. All those great paintings are painting from life, and that's it's totally legit. Um, You know, it's actually more rare to to not use models. Sure. You know, um, Gabe uses models. Gabe Leonard uses a lot of artists. I use references when I need them. Um, Rick Gallagher's done some for you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a bunch of great black magic shots that I used for uh, Gunpoint, that painting. I used a, a photo I took of him for, from that time. We we had we took a bunch of pictures in my backyard. And the other one was uh, Stalker, that painting mm-hmm. from the uh, Dystopia show. That was based on a, a reference. So, um, you know, the, I, I can get away with it for whatever reason. I, I don't always need it, but when I do, I, I, I've got no problem taking photos and using that as reference. And like I said, if I had the time, I would sculpt everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's so, so aside from it, just it being good for your artistic development and learning about form and how light and shadow hits, it's, it's valuable in the sense that you can use it for reference, photo reference. So, mm-hmm. um, and, um, guy, and super fun guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's super fun. Um, guy Atchison does it with, he does those really amazing paintings of these crazy kind of biomechanical <clears throat> psychedelic forms, but he sculpts those and then he, and then he lights them and paints them. He's a tattoo artist. He's also a really great painter. Well, and then, and then on top of that, if you add to all of that, that once you've sculpted it, you can then do all kinds of things with that sculpt, right? right? So then there's this whole other dimension that unfolds, you know, mm. and now it's like, oh, I've got this sculpture already. So now how can I utilize that yeah. for reproduction purposes? Yeah, you can mold it and reproduce it and sell it, or you can mold it and then modify it, recast it, it, modify it, shrink it, change the, you know, you could do so much with it. It's a, just a great skill set to have. Uh, and I should say, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but when I first started to, uh, when I first said I'm, I'm going to be a fine artist, what I was wanted to do was sculpture that I wasn't even thinking about being a painter. Cause I knew I was way better of a sculptor than I would be an oil painter. So, um, I did that soft spot sculpture, which is really the first kind of fine art thing I ever did. And I did mm-hmm. it on my lunch hour and, uh, on weekends i would take it home i was working at rick baker's and so it's mostly done on my lunch hour sculpted and um it took like a year doing it that way which is ridiculous and then the mold was really difficult but i molded it the casting was difficult i did i cast it and 
at the end of it, I had this really great piece uh, that I painted. I cast it in a, um, a, a translucent urethane resin, rigid resin, and then I painted it in acrylics, airbrushed it, and it looked, you know, pretty much almost exactly how I wanted it. And it looked really realistic. And it was great. It was really good. And but it took it took me ten years to sell it, you know, because it was just mm-hmm. so so. That's when I started painting. After that, it just took. It was so expensive to produce for me at the time, and it took so long to create that I was just thinking, you know, in the time that I've created this sculpture, I probably could have done a whole show of painting. So that's why right. I knew I could paint and draw. I just had never really tried it. So that's when I decided to go with painting. And now I'm kind of coming back to sculpture because I always had it in my mind that, you know, once I get to a point where I'm, this is my career, uh, I'll be able to go back to sculpture, you know, incorporate mm-hmm. that. And, and so, I mean, this, the, it's so funny. I don't know if you know, uh, Thomas Kubler, I'm not sure. Hey, yeah, yeah, amazing, 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 amazing. So stuff. incredible. So good. He's a sculptor. And I have a book. He does the the Ed Geinball machine. If any of you yeah, guys have seen yeah. it out there, and it's like it's like a shrunken head with like a gumball, you know, a glass thing coming out the top Chris of it, Vel- and then you move the mouth, and it comes down and pops out, I think and it's like Chris Velasco uh, owns that one. Yeah. So, I mean, that that kind of gives you an idea if you haven't seen his stuff. And it's like hyper. It looks so real. It's like you went into a, you know, like a, a curio shop in the islands and you found like this thing, you know, and you're like, but oh, that, my God, that's a real head. That, that one is like that. But his most of his other stuff are full life size figures that totally. in silicone that look so real. They're just amazing. And they're slightly caricatured a little bit, exaggerated. Yeah, didn't he- yeah, didn't he do the Elephant Man? Yeah, I think he's done the Elephant Man. He did. One, my favorite one is this kind of uh, two-headed hillbilly, like oh yeah, Frankenstein. It's just yeah. unbelievable, and it's, it's just amazing. So the funny thing though is, some he's done some other stuff, uh, like uh, like a kind of a, a fortune teller. And I, I, but it's funny I had a book of stuff that I was wanted to do when I wanted to start sculpting and it was so similar to what he was doing. I'm glad he did it instead of me because his are definitely better than what I was thinking. But what I was thinking was these kind of indigenous bus of indigenous people, like native Americans and stuff, um, Africans, you know, uh, real ethnic, but from like another dimension, basically, which isn't that unusual now, but this was in the late nineties. It, it seemed way like way before avatar. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but it was like, they all had jewelry and braids and nose rings. And, and, and so that's, well, Hey, and, and also let's give them a heads up. If you guys watch Chet's our, I like to paint monsters, the documentary about Chet, there is one of the, the creatures he's talking about. I filmed it and it's in the film. Is it really? And I, I know. Remember. Yeah. And I know this because it was, we were going through all your old stuff. It was from the files, the old art, art finds. Right. And we were going through all that. And I saw one of them and you told me the whole story and I filmed it and it made it into the film. Oh, cool. So yeah, that's so funny. We watched that, for it. Now I don't even know that I'll have to, I have to watch it again. I can't stand there's, watching it there's again. There's tons <laughs> of Easter eggs in there. Actually, I've, I, we've talked about that before, but I like to play Easter eggs. So. I wouldn't mind watching that movie if all the parts of me were cut out. <laughs> And then it would be like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I, just, I actually just thought to myself. <laughs> Change my voice, been, put someone else can redub my voice so I don't have to listen to my voice. It's been a year and a half since I watched it. And I think I might actually be able to watch it now and really see it. Yeah. Like, 
you know, see it like a real movie, like not like this thing I'm so involved in that I can't even like get beyond stupid little petty nasty right. stuff, you know. But just like actually able to see it as like a real film, yeah, you know? you're Which I, great. I mean, then maybe it'd be maybe I'd be like, wow, you know, I, know. I made a good movie. <laughs> I, I should watch it too. Now that you mentioned that, I haven't watched it in so long because you know during the film festival and the editing and everything, Mike saw um, way more times than I did, and I and I always had to watch every edit. And the film yep. festivals. So, you know, we've seen it way too many times. So it's kind of like sure. hard to watch now for, especially well, me because also- I hate myself. <laughs> 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 Not really, but you know, I hate my, you know how it is hearing your voice on a tape recorder. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's well, especially experienced when that. you had to like, you know, you go to these festivals and there's this huge screen oh, and your God. head is like the size of, you know, a, a one story building. And yeah. It's I a know, little people bit... think that would be so great. And, and you uh-huh. know, such an ego massage. It, it's like, it, it is, it's not, it's nice. And you feel like, Oh, I, I must be important. And there's a movie about me on a screen, but the, the, uh, the pain of seeing yourself on a screen and, and having st- to listen to yourself say uh, the thing and you're uh, thinking like, if only painful. I could have, I would have said it this way, but I couldn't because I was just on right. you asked. I know. Question, oh, I look at it. Yeah. It's, it's the pain is a lot worse than the good, the good you feel well, from it. Yeah. And it's like, for me I here, I get, you know, I get done making it and all I can think to myself, is like, I'm, as I'm watching like, Oh, I, I should have done that with the color correction there. Uh, and yeah, you, yeah. Oh, the audio's a lagging just a tight bit there. And you know, no one gives a fuck about that shit. So now I'm like, I think now that I don't care about that, I might actually be, you know, cause I'm not right. invested. I might be able to actually watch and be like, wow, okay, cool. I, I think you just know? about everything that I said in that, interview i look at now and i'm like i would if it was if we made this movie now i would have been able to be so much more eloquent with it because that was the first time i started doing interviews really that's how i got pretty good at talk speaking and doing interviews because of the the documentary Mm because you interviewed me so many times it kind of but anyway (laughs) anyway so that's (laughs) we're getting off topic here but yeah we are so um back to sculpture um, yeah, but if you want to see the crazy native, yes. uh, indigenous, Aboriginal, alien things, mm. there is one in the documentary that's in the B-roll at some point in time. I can't tell you where. You're gonna have to go find it yourself. There's a lot of fun things to find. Anyway, sculpture. Yes. So that's I was gonna do that. That would that was my show. It was gonna be a bunch of these busts and super realistic silicone hair painted, and then I did soft spot as my kind of test to see how this would be. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good idea. There's no way I could financially. I just can't handle it and um so then i went into painting but i always wanted to do sculpture and now i've you know i was able to ultimately do a i sold that piece the the soft spot and then i made a bronze i had grant standard bronze it which is cool so i do have a bronze oh, it's amazing guys if you haven't seen it it's like i mean seriously i look at that piece because i've seen it at like three shows now because they kind of have it hanging around and it's like or maybe four even but it's like it, you can't even really understand how amazingly conceived it is until you get up close to it. It's so it's like I look at that and I think of like Rodan, you know, I mean, really, it's like oh, it's thanks. it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Someone's got to drop some money. I know. Well, that's the thing. It's seventy five hundred bucks as a bronze and it's on a nice marble thing. And, and it's, you know, for a bronze, it's actually a great price. But, you know. That's expensive, man. It's a lot of money to drop, so it's still yeah. available. Well, I mean, I, the only Chet Zara I have is $975, so yeah, I know <laughs> I know what range we're talking. It's $7,500 ain't mine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it's clear that I put all my heart into that sculpture. It's way over detailed. To, I mean, it's good that I did it, but it's every single pore 
It's got yep. goose. It's got goose flesh on it. I mean, it's really, really. I, I took all the technology that I learned from my, Mitch Devane and working at Cinovation with people like Kazu and Matt Rose and Steve Wang and these guys, and I put it into this sculpture. So it's it's detailed like a like a a, a Rick Baker movie piece would be. That's how detailed it is. And somehow and it's in bronze. Yeah, oh. and Grant somehow made the bronze absolutely flawless. Like there's no seam. I don't know how. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it because there's, I, I just, it's amazing. He just, it's just perfect. So it's, it's incredible. Anyway, uh, not to toot my own horn, but the bronze really came out pretty, it pretty did. fucking amazing. And, uh, and I'm actually, I have to, I'm about to start painting all those busts for the Kickstarter. Cause that I did sell an edition of that plus some artist proofs. So I gotta, I have all those casts, but Oh God, that's another story. Well, hey, and, and actually, speaking <laughs> of dystopia, just a little tidbit for the folks that are listening that are invested in that prog- pro- <laughs> project. Um, soft spot. We, you guys, get to learn all about soft spot. I know all the down and dirty details of soft spot and how soft spot works and what it is. And dude, there's such cool details about that creature. Like those whole. Because Chad didn't. Chad, I, I don't know if you knew that one in advance when I asked you the question. I was like, so what about soft spot? No. If you just like right away knew, but I, I know that at some point in time he was like, well, it's got this thing with the eyes. On oh it. yeah. And I yeah. don't say anything else because I don't want to spoil it. But yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's so cool when he told me it. I was like gushing over here, like you know, like oh my god, soft spot. I, That's yeah. What I, in fact, that I know what you're talking about with the eyes, and that was something that it's not totally clear from the sculpture. I think until you, once you know it, you're like, Oh, that's cool. You know? So it's that, that'll be uh, pretty cool. But I'll say one last thing about what? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say that that's, that's, that's the the big aha that all these dystopia people are going to get. And you know, is that, but you're going to get that for like, you know, almost a hundred different, things you know and that's just one of them and you i didn't even give it to you but i'm if i'm this excited trust me you will be anyway (laughs) um yes it will be worth the wait i have to keep saying that it's really true true and it's killing me that it's not done yet oh it's killing me every day it's killing me (laughs) i I dream of the day when it's finished i'm gonna be so happy but anyway okay sorry one cool thing i'll say about the soft spot sculpture that's uh the magic of art happened with that sculpture is that I realized after when we made the documentary documentary that that was subconsciously based on that photo of my dad. Yeah. Eating totally. the cookie where he's laughing. Yeah. He's laughing. Oh, yeah. Can't I pointed you see that it? out to you? Can't you we see were, it? <laughs> we were, yeah. We were going through there on that, on those shots. And I was, and I said that to you, I was like, doesn't this look just like that? And you were like, Oh my God. Yeah. And, and it's so, you know, it's so deep. It's really, it's, it's the art thing that happened. It, it was from my subconscious. It's called soft spot, which I, I made like a soft, like it, it's a soft spot in a baby's head is the area where the, um, the, the skull hasn't sutured together yet Lights. in newborns. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and there, so I made that kind of indentation. Cause I remember when, uh, mm-hmm. when Fritz was a baby, he had that. And that's when I first learned about that. Um, but uh, so I made that in the sculpture and I called it soft spot because also there's the, you know, he kind of looks like he's, you know, shy or it's hard to he's shy or grinning or grimacing. You can't really tell, but it's definitely, it's got a feeling of like you have a, I have a warm feeling to it. Like yeah, you feel yeah. sorry for it sort of. And, and it's so represented my relationship with my dad, my biological dad, that, you know, he was so 
had so many emotional problems and I had this soft spot for him, but the things he was doing to the family was really so bad on so many levels. And I always felt like I had to defend him until I grew up and realized he did so many kind of shitty things, but it was not really his fault because he was mentally ill. So it's, mm-hmm. that's what art is all about right there. And that's yeah, that, that's, that magical discovery, that's the magic of art. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Really incredible. So, well, and, and it's so perfectly exactly posed that it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's bizarre because he's in the exact same expression and face and he's having this happy moment, you yeah, know, with the chocolate chip cookie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. When you guys are watching the film, that's, that's in the first quarter. It's the first act of the film. It's at right around the end of the first act of the film. So. And I guess that does kind of answer the question if it's, if it's really a grimace or a smile, because he mm-hmm. is laughing in that picture. He's he is. He's genuinely happy. You can see it. And all I mean, <laughs> and all the rest up. of the stuff, he looks pretty hard and pretty serious, yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, he's cracking up there. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on to more technical stuff about sculpting. Yeah. Uh, what I do with my sculpt... Okay, there's... In general terms with sculpture, you've got water-based clay and you've got oil-based clay. Uh, and those are the two castable clays. These are... Uh, clays that you need to mold in order to make a permanent piece from if you want to do that as far as so so, okay so those are the two castable clays and then the other clays are uh, polymer clays like sculpey super sculpey and they are clays that you bake in the oven and they harden and that could be your final piece but it's not very archival it will i've got pieces from when i first started painting they're kind of crumbling a little bit so you have to be really careful with it um but that also depends on how you bake it if you bake it right i think it can be really solid for a long time but uh if you want to go for longevity without molding things because molding is a whole and casting is a whole other ball of wax but uh there's a epoxy clay which is basically epoxy putty like plumber's putty but made to where it's more sculptable and i know jim mckenzie does that for his pieces his piece he did for uh, of his dog was mm-hmm. um that that uh scarecrow gordo sc- yeah gordo and the scarce i think the scarecrow scarecrow sculpture he made out of epoxy clay and that's basically dries like a rock like it's gonna last forever but mm-hmm. the downside to that is or the upside is you don't have to mold it you could paint it the downside is it's not translucent if you want to get that in your scu- in, in a in a, a cast casted sculpture and it is uh kind of difficult to sculpt it's not like you can just get a bunch of epoxy clay and sculpt it with regular tools like you would it's like I, i'm i'm not going to talk a lot about epoxy clay but i will so i'll just get this out of the way the way you sculpt with epoxy clay is you kind of have to build an armature out of wire and maybe aluminum foil to get your basic shape then you at you know, epoxy clay is a two-part clay i use uh, epoxy sculpt a-p-o-x-i-e sculpt it comes in different colors um from uh aves a-v-e-s is the company but um you mix two part equal parts like putty like dough and it's really doughy and thick, like plumber's putty, if you've ever used that. You get the ba- you you block out the base sculptures. You got to use gloves, too. You block out the, the base form over your armature, and then you let that set. And it should be uh, smaller than your final sculpture is going to be all the way around. So it's ju- you're just kind of building this armature. Then you let that cure for 24 hours or whatever. I think after about three hours, it starts to firm up. Um, 
this is one way of working with it. And then after that's dry, you've got this kind of solid armature, everything smaller than you would be working on it. No detail, just the form. Then you have to go mix some more and add to it. And you can blend it. You can, If you want to do secondary forms, you can blend those off onto that and use uh, terpenoid or, terpenoid or, or uh, some kind of odorless mineral spirits with a brush and smooth it. But then... So you have to kind of keep building up that way, let it cure, add more, let it cure. And then if you want to do stuff like skin texture, you have to do an outer layer, let that cure until it starts to get firm enough to where you can push it, pores and stuff into it. Because when you're first sculpting with it, it's almost like bubble gum. It's just not sculptable. So it's, it's a weird process. It's, 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 it's not intuitive. And then you can sand it. So there, I know Jim McKenzie does a lot of sanding and it's just like, it's great. And you have a, you have a piece that's totally solid. And it's never going to go away. Totally archival, but it's a lot of work. So uh, I don't prefer to use it unless I have to, but it's just, it takes a lot more time than regular sculpting. So that's, that's the epoxy clay. Uh, and then the, the polymer clay, which I also kind of wouldn't recommend just because of the archival quali qualities of it, the non-archival qualities. Although I know a lot of people do great stuff like Tom Taggart, I think does some amazing stuff in uh, Super Sculpey and Simon Lee. A lot of people do really amazing Sculpey stuff. Um, you you bet you kind of it's the same process, but you bake it in the oven, you know. Um, so that it, the same process as a epoxy putty, but you bake it for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and then it firms up and then you can kind of add to it. So those are the non castable. I mean, you can't, you can mold those too, but if you're going to mold it, if you're doing it for a casting, just use the good clay, the one that's feels good rather than the other ones. You have to do all these crazy workarounds, you know? So, um, okay. So now back to the clays I use, which are kind of the more ones you're going to use if you're going to make a mold and do a cast. You got, is that all make sense to you? Yep. That all made perfect okay. sense. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding because I'm following along now. Okay. Because I'm, I'm not, <laughs> not interested. Because yeah. you, you remember I'm, I'm super visual. So like mm. the whole time you're saying all this, I'm like seeing this whole thing going on in my head of like, I was picturing Jim McKenzie working with a Dremel, you know, like me on a little scarecrow face and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm following along okay. and all that made sense. And I've never worked with any of those in that fashion before, except for when I was like a teenager, I used to use my dad's two part, uh, Oxy, uh, uh the, you would, the putty back then yeah. I would use it to, uh, make my, the, affix uh, my bongs together. So like I'd have, you know, like a, I'd, I'd need like a stem that a female piece could slide into that would go into a PVC join. And so I'd use that putty to like, you know, smooth it together and make it a nice smooth seam and the blade, you know, the flame's not hitting that part. So All you're right. safe. Yeah. It's perfect for that sort of thing too. <laughs> So, but I, but other than my artistic bong creations as a young person, yeah. So no, but I followed along and that made a lot of sense. Okay. So, okay. So I'm going to go f explain the casting process quickly because some people don't understand that, you know, people tell me I'll post a, a, a resin cast that I've done. And I know a lot of, a lot of you listening know, know what's up with that, but I'm going to just do a quick overview for people that don't, because some people still, they'll see something and say, is that clay? And how do you make the clay harden? And, Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's usually a resin piece or whatever. Um, so if, uh, uh, the, the basic overview is you sculpt something in clay, 
you finish it off, you're using all these different tools. Rake tools are very important, which is another aspect I'll get into later. But once you have your piece, um, you make a rubber mold, a silicone mold of it. And a lot of times that will be a multi-piece, either two or three piece mold. I try to make things in one piece just to make them easy. But, um, you know, if, if you have a ball and you mold it in silicone, how are you going to get the ball out? You have to think of it, you know, oh, I'd have to put a wall halfway through the ball and do two different pieces and then pull them apart to get the ball out. That's basically, you know, the principle behind uh, molding sculptures. So you have to look for things like how how it would pull out of the mold and stuff like that. So once you have your silicone mold, which is a, a, a rubber casting material, a molding material, um, you mix two chemicals together, like 10% of your catalyst to uh, 100% of your base, which is, you know, the majority of your mold is, is, it's actually the rubber part. And then you add a little bit of a catalyst and you mix it together and then it will, you know, cure in 12 hours or whatever. So once you have your mold, you clean the clay out and then you mix, you pour in whatever you can pour in plaster or stone or uh, uh, hydro stone, dental stone, or urethane resins, which is what I, I use, which is usually a 50-50 mix of two chemicals that turns into like a plastic, which a lot of, you know, cat, uh, if you hear, if people are ta- saying they have resin casts, that's what it is. It's urethane resin and it cures in like 20 minutes or something. So that's what I usually do. I, I make a mold and then I do a resin cast and then I paint the resin cast. So uh, one thing people ha- have trouble with that are new to sculpting and casting is destroying your sculpture, but you have to look at it as the, the clay sculpture. Isn't the final piece you're after the clay. The final piece you want is the cast. So s- destroying your sculpture in the process of molding it is part of the process. You know, if, if you're able to get, get your sculpture out of the mold in one piece, that's cool, but it's never expected that that's going to happen. So you just got to remember that your casting is your final piece that you want. That's your goal is to get these resin casts. And um, what's uh, one of the cool things about molding and casting is that you can make multiples of one thing. You know, once you have a mold, you can pour as many of them as you want. Maybe get 60 pulls out of a mold before the mold starts to to deteriorate. Um, So, okay. So I'll, I'll either use these, when I was talking about the two clays that I use for this process, there's the water-based clay, which will dry Mm -hmm. out, which is called wed clay, which is, was designed for the Disney people, which is wed is the, I forgot what it's, what it stands for W E D, but it's the Disney art department where they do all the sculpting of the figures and stuff. So it was developed for them. So it's a water-based clay, kind of like ceramic clay, but it's got silica in it which makes it really smooth and sculptable and really nice feeling. It's not grainy, like a lot of terracotta clays, you know, mm-hmm. that you would That's fire. all I have experience with is right. like, like clay sculpture for firing and kilns right. and doing like a, a, a bisqueware and, and mm-hmm. stoneware and stuff like that. And I've done a lot of that and I, I, I love it, but yeah, it's, it can be a little bit more elemental. <laughs> yeah. And you got to make sure there's no air pockets when you're firing yeah. it. That's like, so firing water-based clays like that is a totally different thing than doing molds yeah, it's and not casting. Even, it's not yeah, even in exactly. the same universe no, almost. No. 
it's in the same universe, but they're still really far on the other ends of the Very spectrum. Far. And that's what, that's all of my, all of my experience and all of my schooling was in that kind of sculptural work where I would create something and it had to be fashioned in such a way that you could actually fire it multiple times and glaze it at different stages between in order to get this right. art piece at the right. end. That's a one of a kind right. stoneware piece that's glazed and sculpted exactly as you want. And right. that shit's hardcore. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, but it was a blast. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It's fun. It's super it's my fun. favorite stuff. It's ever. a blast when, you have an air bubble in there and you, and you fire it and it explodes. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that happen. Yeah. Actually, Everybody in high school, has. it was funny because the high school teacher would always say, he's like, the first thing you would say to the whole class is, and if I catch anybody making any marijuana paraphernalia in here, I'm going to, you know, I'll break that right away, you know? And so, but of course I had to try. And so I was, I was actually able to pass two different things past him because he, <laughs> they, they were so cool and crafted, you know, like creative. Cause I, and I explained it was a candle holder and an incense stick holder simultaneously it was like a ball with a sculpted hand like a human hand holding Uh it and then like this open bit at the top and then the wrist was open so you could like put an incense holder in here and then you could have a candle (laughs) up here and it was so well rendered that he like couldn't destroy it because he would just take these pieces in front of the class and throw them right on the floor and just break them because he was making his point but he let me he let me get away with two of them out of that class because they were just really cool the other one was a tree it was like a, a tree with a mouth that was open like and these eyes and you'd put your mouth on the tree's mouth and then up in the branches is where the bull was. <laughs> and cool. again, he let me get away with it because <laughs> they were both just cool and nobody else was doing cool shit like that in the art class. And he was like, ah, stupid stoner kid. Fuck him. Let That's him keep funny. <laughs> I did a, uh, uh, in high school I had ceramics. I made a little coffin. I, I, I don't know. I have it somewhere, but it was a little coffin, probably about a foot long. And I put a skeleton in it. And then it has a, a, a removable lid even. And it said czar on the front, on the, on the coffin. <laughs> and I have that somewhere. I don't know where it's packed away somewhere probably, but uh, anyway, so uh, we're not talking about that kind of clay today. No, no, <laughs> no. But wet clay is like kind of that type of clay, but it's, it's made for sculpt. It's made for sculptures. It's not made for firing. It's made for sculptures that are going to be molded. And so you have to keep it wet or damp when you're working on it. If you're working on a sculpture over two weeks, you got to put, you know, when you're done for the day, you have to put uh, a damp towel over it or wet paper towels or wet towel and a plastic bag to keep all the moisture mm-hmm. in because it will crack over time. Unless you have a solid wet clay head, that will kind of dry out probably without cracking. But if you have an armature under there, it's probably going to crack. And that's kind of an issue with uh, wed, wed clay sculptures is yeah, sometimes they crack if it's thin over areas of the armature. But anyway, um, usually wed clay is used for larger sculptures because it's super soft, like water-based clay, like terracotta clay. It's very soft when you start, so you can block large things out, like say a, a human head or even bigger than a human head. You can block stuff out really fast because it's so soft just slam it on there. Boom, boom, boom. And you can uh, carve it away really easily because it's so soft. So it's really good for blocking fast, uh, big things out quickly. And as it dries out, as you're tooling it and working it over a week or two, it loses moisture and then it becomes more like an oil-based clay. So hmm. yeah, it's really, really great. And then when it, so you basically, you have to kind of time the way you work, work on it because it's really, it's hard to work on a clay that's really, really soft, like the way it wet is. So, but you can get these big forms in and big, you know, cut big wrinkles out and blah, blah, blah. And 
you just kind of let it dry out as you're working. You, you, you get to the feel of the material and then you know, you know, okay, by tomorrow it's probably going to be a little more workable. So I'm going to just do the big forms today. And then tomorrow I'm going to start refining those forms a little bit when it's stiffer. And, you know, when you get to this point where you're going to detail your sculpture at the end, it's, it's, you can, you can, so much moisture has come out to where it's almost got this waxy feel to it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not at all soft at that point. It's really hard, like a, like a hard oil-based clay. Mm -hmm. and, and it really, and, and it's that silica at that point that really makes the clay super smooth and it's, it's beautiful to sculpt. It's really nice to sculpt and you can blend your wrinkles with water in a brush, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really nice to work with. So I usually do that first you know, Halloween masks or, or large pieces. We used to use it a lot for when we had to do a, in the film industry, a quick body suit of a creature, you know, because it's just, it's such a large area to um, block out quickly. Wet clay is the stuff for that. Uh, but what I mostly use is the oil-based clays because I'm usually doing smaller little busts and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And even uh, Soft Spot was done in this oil-based clay, which I use called Chavant. NSP medium medium is the hardness. They have soft, medium and hard mediums, the perfect hardness in, in my mind. And that's, what's most widely used in the uh, film industry. And the NSP is non-sulfur plasticine. And uh, the clay that we used to use and all throughout the eighties um, and up into the nineties was this stuff called uh, Roma plastilina which is this italian clay it's green it's an oil-based clay but it has sulfur in it and um which makes it really nice and and slick and sculptable because it's, it's got the sulfur in it but um you know if you rub your fingers after you sculpt it it burns the shit out of your eyes it stinks kind of sulfury and the main thing that uh the industry stopped using it is because certain uh platinum silicones will not set up on it if you have sulfur in it, it just won't, it'll uh -huh. not cure. So um, that's one thing I should have mentioned is oh, I'll get into that later. It's platinum silicone and tin, tin based silicones. But anyway, um, so everyone switched over to uh, Chavant NSP medium and it's, you know, generally it comes in green and brown and, and we generally use a, this brown color. Um, so for my little uh, models that, that I sculpt, like the, the, the small um, crybaby head that I'm working on for the Kickstarter rewards. I'm working on the paint jobs now. Uh, the the uh, the fear plaques I just did. I did this out of Chavant. Um, basically, uh, it's Chavant NSP Medium is a hard plasticine type clay, an oil-based clay that doesn't dry out, which is cool. So you don't have to worry about covering it while you're working on it because it's oil-based, not water-based. So you know, after 10 or 15 years, it might crack. I've got stuff that's sitting on my shelf. That's actually, I have the original soft spot maquette that it's a little brittle. The outside layer gets a little brittle after what, 15 or 20 years or whatever, <laughs> but it, it pretty much, you know, it doesn't crack like a water-based sculpture would. So you can kind of keep them around, but they are still oil-based clay. So you can put your fingernail in it. So it's not really, yeah, it's yeah. not an ideal final piece as far as transport transporting it or whatever it's going to get dinged up that's why you got to make a mold and have a hard piece uh it's almost like a mold is capturing that sculpture 
Right. You know, <clears throat> once you have the mold, you can cast it out of lots of materials and, and you don't have to worry about it. The sculpture getting dinged up or whatever. It's like becomes a, you could even make a stone thing or a metal thing from a mold. Like right, bronze, right. you know? So, um, I'll, I, I will, my process, I will sculpt. If it's a, if it's a small bust, sometimes I don't even use an armature, you know, I'll just sculpt it, um, with this oil Chavant. Um, if it's a figure, like a, a body, like a posed body, you have to, mm-hmm. you, you have to make an armature because you can't just sculpt it. The arms will break off. You have to have a, an mm-hmm. aluminum armature and you can use armature wire. They have pre-made. If it's a human figure, they have pre-made, uh, armatures you can buy from art stores. You know, you've probably seen them where it's like a, looks like a stick man made out of ar- mm-hmm. armature wire that's bendable. But generally I, I just do them out of big blocks of Shavant. I, and so I use, um, the thing about Shavant medium, when it comes in a block, it's pretty hard and it's hard enough to where you can't really work it into softness with just your hands. You could, but it would probably take you all day to, to soften a block and it would kill your hands. So you have, you can put it in the microwave to soften it, but that that's not the best option because it heats from the inside and you get these molten, you know, it's kind of soft on the outside and you stick your finger in there and then it's molten Siobhan, mm-hmm. which is like napalm and it just sticks <laughs> to you and burns the shit. And you can't get it off. I know someone who spilled, it was melting Siobhan and spilled a whole thing on their leg and got third degree burns on their leg. Wow. Really bad. Cause it just, it sticks, you know, it's like mm-hmm. thick, muddy. It's like mud, but boiling mud. Wow. Yeah. So you have to be kind of careful with using a microwave. Um, you can use a box. You can make it your own box, put a, a, a cardboard box. Even you have to be careful not to set it on fire, but you put a, a aluminum foil, line it with aluminum foil and stick a, just a regular work light in there and put some Chavant in there. And that heat that works to heat it up is like a little homemade oven, but I use a convection oven, which is what we use in the film industry, which is a, like a baking oven that mm-hmm. circulates heat so that you're getting even heat all over your clay. So, um, I put it in there. I don't remember like 110 degrees. Maybe I'm not sure what the, the temperature I use, but it's very low, but it will heat that clay up to where it has the, it's the consistency of the wet clay, which is really soft, like butter or margarine mm-hmm. or something. And then I block things out using the oven, block it out quickly. And, um, as it cools, it gets really hard fast, you know? Um, so you kind of, uh, get your main forms there. Then I start, you know, I do a lot of it with my fingers, just getting the the forms. Uh, and then I start kind of tooling it down with these things called rake tools, which are sometimes you can make out of jeweler saws, or you could make by twisting, uh, music wire it's called you can you can twist it to make a braided braided wire tool and make a loop out of it you can buy all these tools at um uh god sculpture house maybe is is a good place for them uh there's places there's not a lot of places online to get good rake tools though actually because mm-hmm. i did that class for uh, nico hurtado's uh hosted me doing a sculpture class and I had to look around and I only found one place that had the really good, um, uh, braided, braided, uh, rake tools. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, the reason you use rakes, uh, is because it, it evens the surface as you're raking it. Whereas if you're using just like a hard, 
I don't know how do I explain this. If you're using like a loop tool to tool mm-hmm. your surface to smooth it out. It's going deeper in some spots and shallower in other yeah, spots. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you're, if you use a rake tool to do that, it's it's evening the surface as you mm-hmm. do it, and it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's kind of those... like why it's kind of like why you drag out here in the country. You drag the land to flatten it because once yeah. you drag it enough with something that's rough, it evens the surface. Yeah, out. yeah. I guess it's the same principle as that. Mm-hmm. So, rake tools are very important. So I usually will block out all the forms with my rake tools. So what you have is, is, is your sculpture, but it looks like it has all these little rake lines in it. So after you get to that point, you get these kind of loop wire tools or wood tools. There's different ways of doing it. There's all kinds of, I mean, getting into tools would be a whole other story, which we can't yeah, get into. Seriously. I have a bunch of tools myself still from my sculpting days. Yeah. So, so you can go with a looped wire loop tool and you kind of go and you burnish off your, uh, your rake lines. And once you get that off, then you can do hand texturing with other tools and hand doing wrinkles and stuff. Um, so basically, I, I get it to this f- finished point. You can also brush it with uh, Chavant. You can brush it with 99% alcohol, smooth it a little bit, which works okay. It works really good with uh, pl- the Roma clay I mentioned with the sulfur in it. We used to use that all the time for brushing down, but it's got it's because it has the sulfur in it. Um, the Chavant, the Chavant is, um, not, doesn't have the sulfur, so it doesn't brush down as easily. Although you could use turpenoid to brush it down. It totally melts it, but then your sculpture is like slimy. It is a slimy layer. So if you use that, then you need to take, um, some 99% and kind of wash the sludge off. So I I remember trying to wash that clay with that 99 cent. 99% 99% out of that mold for your Halloween mask for dystopia. Oh, right, yeah. It's, and that was just, like with a toothbrush and right. just like, and, and shitloads of rubbing alcohol and just like working <laughs> it and working it. And it's like so slow, yeah. so, so, so yeah, slow. Yeah, that was a pain. That was a pain in the ass. I appreciate you helping with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't bring it up because of that. It's just my <laughs> experience with, this, with the Siobhan. Right. So um, once I get, I, I basically, I get it to the finished point where it, you know, like I said, what you see is what you get. If it looks good, it, it's good. It's there. If everything looks right in three dimensions, it's going to look right when you mold it. Uh, so then I'll spray it with crystal clear, Krylon crystal clear, which gives it like a barrier and, 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 a, and it also will, it'll slightly smooth out some of your details. So it'll kind of round things, little details slightly. Um, but it's mainly for a barrier to make it pull out of the mold easily. And then I'll do a, a one piece if I can swing it or a two piece silicone mold. And because of the, um, uh, the crystal clear, it'll come out of the mold pretty easily. I think the one, the mold that you were cleaning out was a stone mold, right? It was plaster yeah, or hydrocal yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah that's plaster. why it was, I probably didn't use enough crystal clear and, and it just plaster. It sticks more. So, um, but then I, you know, like I said, I do the, uh, once I have the mold of that thing, I uh, cast it in urethane resin, paint it. I, I like to do the uh, translucent castings, which you can mix uh, urethane tints in. So you can get like a translucency and you can opaque it up. I, I use this stuff called uh, Sil, Siltec from Silpec and mix in, you know, it's like a water clear or kind of clear urethane. So you can make it as opaque or as clear as you want to a That's point. Cool. Yeah. So, 
that's what I use for my translucent castings. And recently, which is another good reason the Kickstarter has taken so long, I was just telling this to somebody at when I was at DesignerCon who was waiting mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting on their rewards. Um, <laughs> it, one good thing is that I used to paint all my stuff in acrylic, and if you on acrylic just does not stick that well onto urethanes, and it scratches off on your finger with your fingernail mm-hmm. if you're not careful. But I started painting the resin castings with oil paint which I'm doing for the Kickstarter reward stuff. And it just it will not come off. I'm so excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's just like completely bonds. I can, you know, I'm familiar with oil paints. You can get the same kind of washes as you would with acrylic airbrushing. You get the same look as airbrushing because it blends so well in little washes. So um, yeah, oil paints are just the perfect thing to, to paint uh, um, urethane resin with. Um, I, one thing I'm going to mention too, I mean, we're getting, to the end here, but um, tin tin silicone versus platinum based silicone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that really means. Uh, somehow tin is used in this cheaper silicone, and platinum's used. I you know, like I said, well, pla- platinum is definitely a more precious metal right. than tin. I just so. don't know how that relates to a rubber mold. It's so weird to me. It's, but it's a chemical thing. So I I used to use um, all tin tin cure uh, silicone because it's cheaper uh, and it, and it, it it will set up against things that are contaminated like with sulfur or whatever. It's, it's not Mm -hmm. as finicky platinum silicone tends to be more finicky. So if you have any contamination, any kind of oils on your sculpture, you'll just have areas that are just liquid. They won't set up. Mm. So you have to be really careful the way you can, if you use your mixing stick, if it's got any, sulfur or any sort of chemicals on it it could totally screw your mix up you have to be very clean with how you mix it but and it's more expensive the platinum cure but the molds last like way longer Mm. than they they so i'm i kind of have switched to platinum now um i think lee lee made my molds for me for the uh the fear frames which i also also sculpted in i sculpted those in wed clay because they were kind of large if you look uh, on my, if you look on my Instagram, you could see me and my granddaughters doing like a time lapse, blocking it out, and you could see how fast. Uh, or was it? I don't remember now. Maybe it was Shavant. I think it was Wed. I think it was Wed. It doesn't matter really. Anyway, um, uh, he made a, a platinum mold for me of that frame out of this stuff called dragon skin. It's the name of the silicone, uh, from smooth on. And I, and I use a lot of, uh, sil silpac products, S I L P A K, uh, because I know the guy there, Dan who's really cool, really great mold mold maker and he knows his shit. But I always say for people who are just learning how to do who want to learn silicone and casting. I always point them to their competitor, which is smooth on only because they have tons. Their stuff is a little more user-friendly. Like uh, they have stuff like the different containers are different colors. So you, so you know, your catalyst is in one thing and your base is in the other or your mm-hmm. part a of your urethane and part B are different labels, simple stuff like that. Cause it's so easy to mix to, you know, the same chemical twice because you didn't check, you know, cause the bottles mm-hmm. looking the same. So they're a little right. smooth on stuff is a little more user-friendly and they have a ton of video tutorials on their website. I think it's smooth dash on.com. Um, and they have just 
a wealth of information. If their stuff's a little more expensive though, but you you know, it's easier to use, I guess. And they have more options, I think, for people who are just starting out. Whereas Silpac is kind of like a place where I know a lot of the, you know, industry pros go there because it's doesn't have it's more geared towards professionals, so they don't have to do things like make it easier to use, you know, because people mm-hmm. kind of know how to right. use it. Um so I anyone interested in in casting and molding should check out uh go to smoothon.com check out their videos and there's a lot of information on there and there's a ton of information on YouTube as well cuz there's all kinds of little little tips and things that can screw your whole mold up that you don't think of until you do it once and totally fuck everything up you know there's a lot of it's an expensive hobby that's why I think a lot of people don't get into it because it's the stuff is not cheap. You know, you're talking $80 a gallon for the cheap silicone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 130, 140 a gallon for the good stuff. And, um, you know, I've, I remember getting when I was first learning, when I was a teenager, getting this stuff called ad rub, which was this nightmare urethane rubber that was just super toxic. And I remember, you know, f- making a case mold and just the whole thing. I didn't, make it right and it all leaked out all over the floor and it was like i saved all this money up like a hundred bucks or whatever (coughs) and i come out the next day and the whole thing had leaked out it's like oh well you're out of luck so you know there's a lot of little things so i would watch as much as many youtube videos and tutorials as possible if you just want to get into sculpting um i'd recommend getting uh if you want to do small things just getting some shivant nsp medium um, and just start playing with it, you know, uh, with if, cause you can keep the sculptures, you can mold them in a year if you want, you know, you mm-hmm. can ha- have them hanging around and you, you could, you know, like that guy in the, um, the, uh, it's a man's world book. The pulp illustrator guy I was telling you about who sculpted the horse. He didn't mold the horse. He just mm-hmm. sculpted it and put a light on it and took some photos of it. And that was right. his reference. So you can do that as well. You don't even have to get into the molding and casting process. Uh, but it's just, so you can just start sculpting with the oil-based clay and there's other clays too you could try like uh chavant has great some stuff called lebeau touche it's really soft you know type of chavant and they have some really hard ones that uh people that make sculpt cars like big real car bodies mm-hmm. yeah they use this you know this really hard clay that you could sand you know it's it's a it's a trip but Oh, and then Monster Clay. I got to give a shout out to Monster Clay. Monster Clay is a great clay I use as well. It's kind of the uh, counterpart to Chavant, it, but it's more waxy. Mm. And um, it sculpts really nicely. You have to be careful on small things because if uh, I use the medium grade, I haven't tried hard. So th- this might take care of that issue. But the medium grade, I know that if, it heat, if it's too hot out during the day, it can really, the clay stays soft. Or if you're holding it in your hands, it can it can you know you can get a finger fingerprints on it because it's starting to soften too much because it's a wax based. So, uh, but what Shavant or what uh, Monster Clay is really great at is if you have a mold and you want to cast another piece in clay, like do a clay pour to do it to do either modify the sculpture or mm-hmm. just do a new mold. You know, if your mold's deteriorating, you could pour it up with uh, you can melt some Monster Clay, pour it in the mold let it cool, put it in the freezer and then pull it out. And then you've got a reproduction in clay minus whatever little, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Whatever little, you know, where the molds deteriorated, there's going to be little bubbles or whatever. And you just clean that up and remold it. 
So uh, clay, monster clay is no question the, the best clay for doing clay pours. And I do clay pours a lot because anytime I have to do a, a, a duplicate mold, I'll do a clay pour. Um, and you know, like these, uh, uh, plaques, the fear plaques, I'm going to do a series of those plaques, but I'm going to do a clay pour in that mold and change the face. That oh, way yeah, I can keep, cool. I can keep the frame the same and I, and I've got the basic form of the face, but I've got it all mm-hmm. in, in monster clay now and I could just sculpt it, change the expression, do a yeah, totally different badass. monster. So yeah, it's, it's really that's what like, very versatile yeah yeah so monster clay is great and you can get that from i think monster makers and you could look up monster clay we'll try and find the links to all this stuff too so cool. but that but that goes to your point about that process being very uh versatile like you could do so yeah, much yeah. stuff once you learn the basics of sculpting molding and casting you could just do so much stuff with it you really it's like it's all you know you can have a mold of one thing and you could do four of the same casts and you could put them together to make a new sculpture and then you could sculpt mm-hmm. on top of that or remold that you know there's just so much stuff you can do so yeah it's super cool uh sorry that was uh, that pandora's, was pandora's uh, pandora's sculpting <laughs> box by chet that was a long ass ramble so hopefully that was no, informative that was, that was good it was all very informative i was able to follow along I mean that doesn't yeah. mean everyone else can, but you know, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I think, I think I'm a, a good taste or case test anyway. Yeah. Well, that, I think that that kind of covers everything. Keep pumping the mic, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a general overview of, of sculpting. So. No, if, that was pretty if, good if, for an hour. Jeez. Yeah. I, I don't think I could have done that, <laughs> especially because I talked about hunting for like the first ten minutes or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was only five minutes. I was watching the clock. <laughs> it felt like 10 minutes. The expressions on your face. <laughs> um, yeah. If there's anything that we missed, we could, you know, there could always be a sculpture part two. If, a, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a part two. There, I mean, if people have questions and it's like, Oh, I just, I realized I missed this whole other aspect of it. You know, Hey, just tell us in the comments as well as yeah. other, other, um, topic ideas you have you know um yeah this this idea for today was a suggestion as have been many of mm-hmm. the suggestions have been made into episodes so yeah, yeah give us your suggestions yeah so we're thinking i mean i'm i was talking to you about maybe doing a one about humor and dark art and yeah because that's one thing one angle of dark art that is dark art gets misrepresented as being serious all the time it's not yeah totally. you know that's one aspect of dark art it's also can be really funny and kind of totally. fun as well, you know? Yeah. yeah so that's I mean, I consider, I, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Dave McDowell and I consider oh, yeah. him a dark artist and his, his stuff's hilarious. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of people would probably call him like a, a pop, pop surrealist, surrealist but probably, yeah. I don't consider him that in my mind, I consider him part of this dark art movement, yeah. but you know, that's just my idea, but I, still. I think Skinner is a good example of, you know, he's the one who brought this up for me at designer con. He was like, yeah, I'm like, and he wants to do the show too, so we can interview oh, cool. him. Oh, awesome! Which he's so funny. He's like one of my favorite art personalities. I do this hilarious, but um, uh, yeah, you gotta watch his. Check out his video drawing with Skinner on YouTube. Okay. It's so fucking funny! Oh my god, it cracks me up every every episode. It's so funny, but um, he was like, "Yeah, I want to, I, I want to, you know, I forgot what he said. I want to promote the the fun monster." artists and the, the humor mm-hmm. and the monster 
monster stuff and yeah, like could, neil win neil wins yeah, like, i yeah. consider him a dark artist who's oh, doing all sure. kinds of fun stuff yeah so so that's that's like that's going to be a future topic as well as uh you know i think I mentioned some other ones to you about yeah we have a whole list what our power is as you know what's our special what's our superpower as a as a unit of as a movement just mm-hmm. think so any any ideas you have we are taking them all into consideration and the ones we think are going to make good shows will do so please aside from liking and sharing give us your comments and your ideas because we're all about that we we definitely want to hear what you have to say yep we do and we're and as we mentioned on the last episode we are going to be launching this patreon soon so keep your eyes open for the patreon for the dark heart society and if you want to know more about that you should tune tune into the previous episode where we talk all about it the further dark art musing oh yeah and if uh you have uh ideas of what you would like to see in a patreon please let us know yeah that too you know we're trying to make it as simple as possible so there's the least amount of headaches for everyone and make sure mm-hmm. rewards get delivered on time and there's there's no lag in that but uh you know we're totally would love to if, if a bunch of people say oh you got to have this as a reward then we'll probably do that. Yeah, we'll probably you know do it. I mean? <laughs> That's pretty much how we operate. <laughs> Give the people what they want. That's right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. We always appreciate it. Make sure to tell people about it. We, you know, Chet keeps tripping out on, on the one hand, how cool it is, how many people are like, oh, I love the podcast. But then on, also on the other hand, like, wow, I didn't even know you had one. So <laughs> yeah, keep spreading the word. And, and we really appreciate all the listens and the comments and the engagement. You can always uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That's kind of the premier platform for rating and reviewing us. But you can also hit us up on Stitcher and on Podbay and on Google Play and yeah, a bunch of different platforms platforms soundcloud of course well that's that's what i never even think about that because that's where we're hosting it so right. it's like i always just think obviously soundcloud <laughs> yes so thank you please share please spread the word like i said every one last i'll say it again i heard all weekend at designer con that there people are saying i'm addicted to the podcast it's so great thank you for doing the podcast so it is a good podcast we know at this point it has been Yay. it has been vetted if, by the fans and they like it so it's just a matter wanna, of getting the word out if you want to if you want to know what chet was really thinking about this podcast when we started go back to the first episode because like within the first five, <laughs> or five five sentences of the episode he's like and me you know maybe this will just be a big waste of time or something <laughs> maybe it's gonna that. suck <laughs> yeah no maybe it's gonna suck that was what it was right yeah so well, anyway, now now I'm glad that what 37 episodes later you you don't feel like yeah it, it doesn't suck yeah it doesn't <laughs> suck that's what we can say about this well and it's fun you know that's the other thing too I enjoy doing it yeah, you know yeah. week it is it's cool I always the reality is we'd be having all these conversations whether we were recording it or not I suppose so yeah. might as well just record it yeah that's true <laughs> all right well thank you everybody for listening thank you Mike for listening to me ramble i know you're tired yep. you look exhausted you should go take a nap <laughs> it's been a long a long series of events yeah i'm a little worn out <laughs> so your eyes kind of closing a couple times no it's my contacts are all dried out i've been wearing this this they're like monthlies and i've been uh, wearing yeah. it for like five months and yeah so i need new contacts too but i can't afford them. so that was actually me trying to rehydrate my eyes you know like saran wrap wrapped around my grapes of eyeballs yeah, anyway, that's a little more information than anyone needs to know. We'll catch you all next Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dark Arts Society podcast. All right. Thank you and goodbye. Peace.